Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. I once read a story about the violinist Isaac Stern in which he was confronted by a fan backstage after a concert. Gushing at how beautifully he played, she exclaimed, I'd give my life to play like you. To which Stern curtly replied, Lady, that I did. Studying music, especially in the context of summer festivals and school, can of course be an incredibly positive experience with many meaningful, inspiring, and fun moments. But there can be some pretty challenging moments too, like stressful orchestra rehearsals with an intimidating conductor, the fear of disappointing your teacher, worries about being judged by your peers, and the occasional spike of frustration or simmering rage at your passive-aggressive stand partner. Negative emotions like fear, anxiety, shame, or guilt are certainly not fun, nor are they good for our general well-being. But what sort of impact do emotions like this have on our learning? Is this something that just comes with the territory and makes us stronger because of it? Or are negative emotions like this detrimental to our growth and development? A group of Dutch and Brazilian researchers conducted a study of 60 medical residents who were in their first week of the residency program. The idea was for the experience of watching another resident going through a stressful or threatening situation to induce some negative emotions in the emotional group. Emotions like indignation, anxiety, or fear. After watching the clip, the residents answered several questions about what they had just observed to get a sense of whether the video elicited any emotional reactions at all. Next, the participants were presented with a short medical text to study, titled Oxidative Damage During Cardiac Arrest in Cardiopulmonary Resuscitation. They were told that there was no rush to get through it, and that they could take as much time as they needed. When they were finished, they answered a few questions that gave researchers a sense of how engaged or involved they were with the assignment. And then finally, they completed a simple free recall test, where they were asked to write down everything they could remember from the text. So what happened? Did the resident's emotional state while studying have any impact on their learning? 
even though I'm pretty sure watching a potential colleague go through a stressful evaluation is not going to elicit anywhere near the level of stress that going through that situation yourself would, the vicarious experience of seeing a resident get grilled was enough to induce slightly more negative emotions in the emotional group than the control group. 4.5 out of 5 versus 4.2 out of 5, where 5 equals very bad or deeply unpleasant emotions, and 1 equals very good or very pleasant emotions. Interestingly, the slightly more negative emotional state did not appear to affect the emotional group's level of engagement while studying. That is to say, those in the emotional group felt like they worked just as hard and were just as absorbed in the task as those in the control group. However, there was a significant difference in the amount of time the participants spent studying. While those in the control group spent about 14 minutes studying the text, residents in the emotional group spent only eight and a half minutes studying. Could it be that anxiety about finding themselves potentially in the same situation portrayed in the video heightened their alertness and enabled them to get through the text more quickly? Well, no, not so much because there was actually a pretty big gap in performance between the two groups on the test. When it came time to recall everything they could about the material they just read, the control group had an average score of 20.23. The emotional group, on the other hand, their average score was just 11.55. It makes intuitive sense that being in a negative emotional state would compromise one's learning, so it's nice to see some actual evidence of this. But I think the more interesting question might be why, as in, why do negative emotions compromise learning? Well, the authors didn't set out to pinpoint the causal mechanism in this study, but they note that the emotional group's reduced study time might explain some of this. They also note that the lack of a difference in engagement scores might suggest that while the residents felt similarly engaged, some of their cognitive resources may have been taken up by the processing of their negative emotions leaving them with fewer resources available to absorb the content of the text, relative to those who are in a more neutral headspace. So what can we do about this? Well, that's a tricky question, as it's impossible to eliminate all negative emotion from life or the learning process. And even if we could eliminate negative emotions from the learning process, it's not necessarily a good thing either because learning how to navigate stressful situations and manage negative emotions is a valuable life skill. And there are studies which have found that in the right situation, certain types of negative emotions, like frustration, can be motivating or even helpful to performance. I think the key is to be on the lookout for moments when a particular type of negative emotion creeps into the picture. Times when ego threat enters into the feedback we give to students or to ourselves. And what does that mean exactly? Well, another recent study found that when participants experienced failure and interpreted that failure in such a way that threatened their ego, there was a tendency to mentally disengage from the task and stop paying full attention, which in turn prevented participants from fully absorbing the information that they otherwise might have been able to gain from their mistakes. For instance, imagine you're struggling to play a passage up to tempo. Concluding that you can't play it at tempo because you aren't talented enough is going to be a threat to your ego and feel very different and lead to a different experience in the practice room than telling yourself that you can't play it at tempo yet because there's probably some tension hiding somewhere. 
The most interesting part of this research was when researchers had participants watch someone else work through a certain set of problems rather than working through the problems themselves. Because their own ego was not threatened when observing someone else fail, they actually learned and retained significantly more from watching others fail than trying and failing themselves. Or, as the researcher summed up, quote, the more failure is disassociated from the self, the less people tune out and the more they learn from failure. So how do we put this into action? Well, a few things. One, as a teacher or parent, one thing we can do is try to make feedback more instructive and less judgmental or evaluative. Another thing we can try to do is to keep an eye out for signs of ego threat related emotions, like fear or anxiety or shame or discouragement during lessons or practice. Because some students could potentially misinterpret constructive feedback as an indication that they lack the talent or ability to play a certain passage in tune or up to tempo or with the right kind of sound. Especially if this is something they're already saying to themselves every day in the practice room. Which speaks to the importance of making sure we don't get into the habit of being our own worst critic and telling ourselves that we're talentless, mediocre hacks every time we miss a note. To that end, research suggests that talking in the third person can often help us speak more constructively to ourselves and achieve the sort of self-distancing that can help keep our brain in a more effective problem-solving headspace. Like saying, hmm, Noah keeps playing those chords out of tune. I think it's because his thumb is clenching too much. Maybe next time he could lift up the violin more so the weight of the instrument is supported more by his collarbone and less with the left hand. As opposed to, what the you can find links to this week's study and other resources like practice hacks and the audition cheat sheet at bulletproofmusician.com blog. And if you found the episode helpful, please share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think might also enjoy experimenting with this during the coming week.